Okay, uh, we're in the middle of Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to try to finish the chapter tonight. We left off, we were kind of looking at 15, 16, and 17. Uh, I want to read those, make a few comments, uh, and then move on. It says, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Does anybody have a version that reads somewhat differently from this? Anybody looking at the New King James? Fifteen through seventeen. Let me read it to you out of the New King James. And the King James would be similar, just King James English. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. See the difference? It's like... 16, 17 are switched. Yes. Uh, the original Greek text has them the way the New American Standard Version that I read from, and I think most of the ones that she would have yeah, the Revised Standard, the New International, the ESV, I think would all have it the way it was in the New American Standard, which follows the Greek text. So apparently the text that the King James came from, which was an, an older, uh, well, a more recent Greek text, it was the best they had back in the early 1600s. Uh, but we found some manuscripts that predate those by a while. For some reason, those two verses were swapped. Uh, I don't know that it changes the meaning much at all, but uh, I just thought that was interesting. Uh, So, uh, what do you think, uh, take like verse 17... Or verse 16, if you're looking at the New King James or the King James. The ones uh, says, proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What do you think that's saying? Sound like preacher jealousy to me. Okay, that's probably a pretty good way to put it. Uh, was Christ being preached? Sure looks like it. But the motives weren't pure. They were trying to cause Paul distress. And it kind of goes back to verse 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. And so the idea of envy, 
there were apparently some that were envious of Paul. Uh, and we, we certainly know that some of the Jews were. Uh, but even apparently some of the Christians. And some of the Christians who were preaching Christ were trying to do it thinking they could get Paul in further trouble. And he's already in prison. And it's like, well, if we preach Christ all the more, then he's going to get in even deeper trouble. And, and you know, we may get him out of the way and, you know, we can... Uh, yeah, exalt ourselves. Preacher. Yeah, yeah right. First preacher. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that I think is the idea that uh, that's being expressed there. At least that was my thoughts. Anybody else have any uh, thoughts on that? Because I'll grant you, I've always kind of wondered about that. That never that seemed odd to me. Yeah, Chris. It does seem odd. In fact, you know, thinking that through. I don't see any other case where the Jews or anybody would have gone so far as to actually preach Christ to cause a problem to get rid of Christ. <laughs> so that there's a, there's a couple things about that. Number one, if you look back in verse 14, it said that most of the brothers have become more confident. And then verse 15, some indeed, is that some of the brothers? That would be my first question. So are these Christians that are preaching? And then he goes on and says, well, some of them are doing it kind of out of a selfish ambition thing, thinking it caused me more stress. I think more along the line of the envy thing. It's like they're preaching and it's like, see, uh, Paul can't get out and preach now. He's locked up in prison and <coughs> we're better preachers or we can do the job better. And thinking that that would cause him to be jealous of them or cause mm-hmm. a problem in that way. Whereas he's like, hey man, brother, preach it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm yeah. with you. I find it a little odd and have a little difficulty believing that they were doing this planning and saying, hey, let's go preach Christ and maybe we can get rid of Paul in this way. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, definitely some jealousy. Uh and you know, maybe wanting Paul to become, you know, jealous. Yeah, Brad. Um, I had always kind of leaned on the last part of that that they're trying to stir up trouble for him while he's mm-hmm. in chains. I had always kind of pictured that as like they're going around saying, "Have you heard what Paul's been preaching? He's he's saying this and this and this. He's crazy. He says this guy was resurrected from the dead." And that he's the king of the Jews. Can you believe he's saying that? And trying to get him in trouble. But in doing that and spreading his story, they're actually spreading the gospel. But that wouldn't be motivated by envy or rivalry or jealousy. So Mm -hmm. I don't know that uh, that's a great example either. Yeah. Okay. I, I see the affliction as a mental thing. It's like, oh, Paul's upset now because he can't get out and preach and we're doing it and so yeah in my okay. that's way trying to make it all fit together is the only way I can yeah. rationalize it yeah okay yeah Mark so, so I'm trying to figure out how this I'm always in trouble with this too <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how this is not a distraction to the gospel I am too right? when you get down to 18 he says he rejoices that you know, 
and I, I accept that. I'm just trying to figure out how it's not a distraction because it's like the guys in Corinthians that were baptized in different names. You know, they went in different directions, and that was not acceptable. But apparently, this is. Yeah, uh, if you look like at verse 18, uh, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. So Christ, Christ is proclaimed, and apparently accurately. Uh, so, Paul's saying, I'm not going to let it upset me. I'm going to rejoice that Christ is being preached. Even if the motives are impure of the one doing the preaching. Uh, and I don't think he's condoning those motives. Uh, and he's certainly not saying it's okay to be envious, selfish, you know, factious. Uh, I don't think he's saying that. Uh, but he does, you know, that, that, phrase, you know, what then? The first two words of verse 18. You know, what does it matter? What difference does it make? This is what I think that expression uh, means. Uh, but he's emphasizing that Christ is being preached. Yeah. You know, what would that look like today? So Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I would try to think of a modern example and that would be somebody that wants to demonstrate their public speaking ability or something like that. Okay and get up and say, and proclaim it exactly accurate, and they get all done, and it's like, you know, they're all proud and, and whatever, and Paul would say, hey, it was proclaimed accurately, now it was the wrong motive, so that would fit this, mm-hmm. I think it would fit this example. Okay. Yeah. You have yeah. a similar example with Apollos. He was preaching the baptism of John, but the text says he was preaching Christ accurately. Yeah. <clears throat> But he needed to be corrected. He, he needed to be corrected. Uh, and he was doing it eloquently. Yeah. 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 It seems his motives were good, too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think that's a key difference. Luke. Yeah. So I'll just do the same thing that Chris was doing, because trying to come drive a modern example. Mine was pretty similar to this. But there's another one that's actually real, which is that, well, that one's probably real. <laughs> but how many times have we heard of people who were a Church of Christ preacher? And we could say that they seem to be preaching accurately, and then it turns out later, you know, they run off with some woman, and then we find out more and more, and we realize we don't know if they actually were ever really legit. And people, that causes people to question their faith. It's like, look, their message, if it was right, was right because the message was right, not because of the recipient, right? And it kind of is a similar right. idea that Paul's talking about. Right. Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. And yeah, I. Uh, we were members of a congregation early in our marriage, uh, and we supported a preacher that went over to Asia. And we found out later, after the fact, that his his motives were not good. But he was preaching the gospel, mm. and as a result of that, many many were brought to Christ. So yeah, God does use those people. Yeah, and God can use those that are even evil people for His purposes and. You know, the scriptures are full of those examples, so, yeah. Okay, yeah, good thoughts. Sarah? And maybe it's a, sort of a, a, as a side note, it's always good to examine your own motives 
when you are proclaiming Christ, whether it is whether you have pure motives or whether there's some um, ego involved mm-hmm. that shouldn't be some selfish <coughs> ambition to be known as you know the person who did this or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. okay. Well, even to what the disciples were had problems with selfish ambition sometimes, like they wanted to be higher in the kingdom. So mm-hmm. even if it wasn't that they were living 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 these sinful lives, it, it was like. Ooh, he's in prison now. I could get up higher in the ranks of the uh, spiritual kingdom or something. Yeah. That would still be a selfish ambition. We're supposed to be putting others first. Yeah. Not and stay tuned. Chapter 2 <laughs> does get into that for sure. So, uh, yeah. Nice uh, prelude for uh, Craig on Sunday. <laughs> okay. And then... Uh, Verses 19 and 20, uh, for I know this that, or I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. So, Paul is saying, and he's indicated, he thinks, he knows how this would turn out. But even if he's wrong, it doesn't matter whether he lives or dies, Christ is going to be glorified, and that is very high on his list. Uh, you know, that's what he wanted to have happen. And so he had no selfish motives. Uh, and I think that's pretty obvious from what he did, what we can read in the scriptures. Uh, but he uh, he proclaims that uh, the the word that's translated uh, earnest expectation in verse twenty. Uh, something I read, it kind of brings together three Greek terms. One that means head, one that means to watch, and one that means away. So that it literally means watching something with the head turned away from other objects. Hence, intense watching. So, watching and not being distracted by anything going on on either side. So an intent watching uh, is the idea there. Uh, so Paul's expectation and hope, I think, will be realized that Christ will be glorified in him regardless of what happens. Uh by life, he says, uh, because his life would be spared, he'd be able to continue to do what he's doing for the cause of Christ. And so Christ would be glorified in that way. But even in his death, Christ would be glorified as he faces and endures death courageously and kind of seal his testimony because 
Do people die for causes that they're not wholeheartedly believers in? I don't think so. Uh, One of the really strong arguments for the resurrection of Christ is the apostles and what happened to the apostles. I mean, one of the theories was that they stole the body so that they could claim a resurrection. And on the surface, that sounds plausible. Until you look at, how did their lives end? Almost all of them were put to death because of their testimony for Christ. Their testimony of a resurrection. People die for causes they are firmly convinced and believe in. They don't die for things they know are a lie. So, that becomes really strong evidence that Paul, if I'm put to death because of this, I'm willing to die. He really believed in what he was preaching. So I think that's the the message there. And so Christ would be exalted, would be glorified either way his life or his death okay any thoughts on that okay uh, can I get somebody to read verses 21 through 26 go ahead Sarah <coughs> for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain but if I am to live on in the flesh this will mean fruitful labor for me and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Okay. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Uh, Paul had a dilemma. And I think he, this really was a, a dilemma. Yeah, he says, if I live on in the flesh, that'll mean fruitful labor. You know, I'm, I'm still able to labor for the cause of Christ. But he says, I have the desire to depart and be with Christ. For that is very much better. And that term, very much better, it's like a a triple positive. Uh, Literally, the terms mean, for by much rather better. (laughs) Uh, Or far better, I think some translations say. Uh, and you know when a, a believer faces death comes to the end of their life none of them regret that they lived their life for Christ I mean, that's what they lived for so that when death comes they're ready 
But how many people regret not putting Christ first? There's a whole lot that do. And, I mean, you just look at people in the world and how they face death and how they face the death of a loved one. If they don't have any hope, it's really hard. It's hard regardless, but it's just so much worse when a loved one you know hadn't lived their lives the way they should. Uh, so, that gives a peace. And, you know, peace is one of the themes in the book of Philippians. So, uh, so the idea of dying being gain. Uh, and, you know, Paul definitely felt that and looked forward to being with Christ. And, you know, there's certainly a sense that, you know, we're with Christ even in this life. But I think beyond this life, it's an even greater sense and something that we probably can't really comprehend. Uh, I think all we can know is it's intellectually better. Yeah, Bob? Now, when we think about a dilemma, it's in kind of a negative thing, but uh, where Paul is to live as Christ, to die as gain, uh, he, was con- he was content no matter what took place mm-hmm. and was not going to change a thing. This, this, this uh, decision, this decision, which really wasn't a decision, uh, and shouldn't we all hold that same posture Everything this book teaches us is what God's prepared for us is beyond mm-hmm. our comprehension. It is beyond our understanding. And why would we want to continue bound in flesh when heaven waits for us? Mm-hmm. Those who've given their lives to Him. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 not bad or good. It's it's good and much much better. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes, very much better, as the end of verse 23 says. Yeah. Uh, One thing I thought was interesting, uh, in verse 23, the word desire says, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. Uh, That word's used several times in the New Testament. But only twice is it used in a good sense. Is desire there a good sense? Here and in First Thessalonians two seventeen, uh, the rest of the time it's always desire in an evil sort of way, uh, but you know indicates you know a strong desire, uh, and so if you desire the right thing, that can be good, and this is an example of that. And he says, but in verse 24, yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So I think Paul made it clear that what he really wanted from a him being better off standpoint would be to uh, be with Christ. But with Paul, the needs of others 
always came ahead of his own needs. And this is an example of that. And Paul was willing to to do that. And he will then, uh, in chapter 2, in verse 4 especially, be calling on the Philippians to do the same thing. Uh, to put their own personal interests aside and be more interested in the interests of others. So Paul is a living example of that. Deborah? Um, it's convicting to me to think about if I was, if I'm allowed to live one more day, that much more work in the kingdom would be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul felt that way, that he was so focused and so attentive to the work that one more day was going to be gained for Christ, for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminded me of a, a, a post, an article basically that somebody did. Um, a friend asked him, do you honestly think that marijuana and sex will keep me out of heaven? And he said, actually, it's a lot worse than that. Gardening and cooking can also keep you out of heaven. <laughs> a lot of time we think uh, heaven is for good people and hell is for bad people. But in scripture, the divide is more like distracted people versus attentive people. Um, and he goes on to just say, uh, licentiousness is one trap, but the seemingly innocuous cares of this life are another trap. And um, I don't know, that just kind of, that connection was made tonight as we were reading through this, that Paul was focused, he's attentive to the, the kingdom. Okay. Almost like the gardening would be more dangerous than exactly. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was kind of glad to hear that. I don't do gardening or cooking. <laughs> and if you question that, ask Dever <laughs> or Chris. So I'll, I'll bring up the topic. This language that he uses here certainly sounds to me like he's trying to make a choice. He says, which shall I choose? He said, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. But I know it would be better if I stay, so I'll stay. <laughs> what am I missing? I mean, we always we always gloss over this, like, well, he was just contemplating or whatever. The language you can't argue with, he was trying to decide or he was going to make a choice. So what does that mean, he was going to make a choice? Was he going to do, like, all right, I give up, I'm just going to, you know, not even try to live, or to mean, what, uh, if I give up, I'm going to quit eating and die? <coughs> Did it be, you know, I, I we, we go over this passage, and I always, I always hear the pat answers, which are, well, you know, he wasn't, he was just waxing, you know, <laughs> Or he was just contemplating or seeing, you know, which way he would desire it to go, but he had no choice in the matter, really. The language doesn't bear that out. So how do we... Okay. Or do you want to just gloss over that? (laughs) Well, I hadn't thought about that. Uh, Craig. Um, 
I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Good, I probably wouldn't have that either. (laughs) When Jesus was on trial, I believe that he made intentional choices to allow himself to be convicted. He could have chosen fairly easily to defend himself and, and likely would not have been. But he made choices and interacted with the Jewish council, um, with Pilate, with Herod, and made choices to get a specific outcome. When I think of the situation that Paul was in, um, surrounded by these Roman soldiers, I think he could have made some intentional choices to get himself killed. Um, I, I think he could have chosen to antagonize them to such an extent um, Okay. That would not have been, you know, that would not have been beyond the norm for Roman soldiers to do that to their prisoners. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's exactly what he's saying here. I, I do see a struggle. Um, mm-hmm. He's trying to choose. Um, I, I think death was close at hand mm-hmm. in many ways. How exactly and in what form that took, I don't know. But it does seem like he made an intentional choice to do what he could to stay alive here for the sake of, of these brothers. Okay. Bob. Well, a reason. Bob and then Boyd. Well, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life I wasn't sure what I should pray for. And I think that could fit this scenario in this I'm hard-pressed. I don't know whether to ask the Lord to bring me, take me home or to, you know, prop me up so I can continue to do what I've been doing. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, you know, the latter would be, be better, but he's, this struggle is mm-hmm. is still as hard as bound to the, the, the churches. Yeah. So. In, in, other, in a lot of other places, he, uh, he lets everybody know that he doesn't belong to himself. He belongs to the Lord. <coughs> he gives... He gives I, I think he gives a reason here for why he thinks that uh, he's going to live on, and that's to be a blessing to the Philippians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And yeah, Craig, I hadn't thought about what you said, but I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, the path that would have been out in front of him was probably a rather dark one. Yeah. As to where he was, and if, if we're if we're supposed to take it as a um, who the who the author is, you know, I bet he is contemplating the the unknown uh, future, but with limited options. And it could be something as simple as witnessing to the next guard. Uh, if that's if you're living by five minutes at mm. a time. Yeah, and there's certainly evidence that he did tell of Christ to the guards yeah we talked about that Uh, Mark yeah I was thinking similar to what Craig said Uh, all Paul would have done would be give a couple of short answers or something abrupt toward the commanders or or even up toward the higher ups that could have been it yeah yeah Yeah. I I think that's true I think that is sir suicide by centurion (laughs) instead of suicide by cop I mean, and, and I actually, in, in a somewhat more serious vein, I don't know whether to think of this as him being suicidal or 
in a in a passive sense, uh, you know, uh, because you do you do have that that question of what could I do, what could I not do, what how much of a defense do I make, um, and. Knowing, I mean, he knew enough about Roman law to be able to appeal to Caesar and, and all of these things. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did that answer your question? I didn't think so. <laughs> okay, so what's the answer? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> uh, I, I do think Paul's life was one of service to others. I, I do think that. I think one of the one of the things I've always heard. I don't know where everybody stands on that, but we. I I have heard growing up that if somebody commits suicide, they're obviously going to hell because they killed themselves, whatever. But I'm just hearing in this conversation several people say, "Well, Paul could have bumped himself off just by the right comments or a few remarks or a few whatever, and that would have been okay because he was trying to choose." which way to go. So now, but is that in contradiction to what I've always heard? So that's kind of where I was going with this. Did Paul have a choice? And yeah, all these are options. Maybe those were choices he had and he could determine how things went by what he did with that. And if that's the case, was that okay? Was was it okay for Paul to say, "Hey, you ugly centurion," and <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was the end of the? <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Yeah, no. I I certainly don't want my comments to be taken that way. So maybe I didn't maybe I didn't think that one all the way through. Honestly, uh, I think was it Bob? Bob's answer was to me the most convincing. Was is it that he's trying to choose? Do I choose to live or do I choose to die? Or is it him simply saying, I don't know what to ask God for right now. Um, I'm hard-pressed to even know what to ask for. Do I ask for release or do I ask for uh, an end to the struggle and the fight? I've been working hard enough and long enough. I'm just ready for for Sabbath rest. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I certainly don't want... My speculation is the uh, <laughs> proponents of suicide. I don't think that's right. Yeah. He also hasn't had a concern of self at all. And, and yeah. I, I'm not saying that this is a concern of self, but it is a very personal moment, I assume. Uh-huh. Where if he's, if he's always able to um, serve others, this is one of those moments where you may be in between two places and not know what to do or what to ask for because he's limited. Yeah, I think we can all relate to, at times, not knowing what to pray for. I mean, I can, for sure. I think about all of us can. And that's where it's comforting to know God knows. He knows what's best. We give it to Him, and you do what's best. And I think that's the answer. Phil? I think either scenario, he is looking for the be- for the scenario that would best glorify God. Yes. And so I don't think he's even if even if we do say he's considering suicide or whatever, if we want to push it that far. Would it be to the glory of God, and would it further 
the gospel in doing mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the view he's taking. Mm-hmm. It's not. Yeah. Because I, he wants to escape. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Brett. Um, so, Chris, were you, the what you've always heard um, about this passage is, um, I had always read it more like, what would I choose if I were given the choice? Like, what would I choose? I don't know. I'm torn. And then verse 25, um, convinced of this, I know I will remain. So, it's not, he didn't say, I I will choose to remain, but it sounds to me like he knows what's better for the kingdom, he feels like, so he knows what will happen, and that more is on God's end, and and I don't know, I've tried to find the the Greek tense of that verb, but um, it's only, looks like it's only in this one one, uh, occasion in the Testament. To know if it's what what I choose or what what will I choose. Okay, Luke. So I will come into this conversation <laughs> just very little bit. Okay, so I did look up it's a and there seems to be some cases at which it might be prefer, which I think would fit with what you were saying. Like, what should I prefer? I don't even know. You know, I looked up a couple of them. I mean, there's. They're not, I don't. This one's not even Koine Greek, so I don't know. It's not super strong, but that would fit contextually. We probably wouldn't be talking about it. Why would say prefer? Mm-hmm. I guess it's not super strong, but there's going to be a little bit of evidence. That you could okay. Use okay. Anything else? Okay, we need to move on. Uh, so, uh, verses twenty-seven to thirty. I have a volunteer to read that. Mark. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one man striving together for the faith of the gospel. I'm not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having made the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Okay. So, Paul really here moves into kind of the practical exhortation section. I think that's how we uh, termed it in the outline. Uh, but he seems to have a, a couple of things in mind one to promote their steadfastness against all opposition or their common foes and also a plea for unity in spirit and action among them uh, and you know, this kind of serves as a prelude to, uh, to chapter 2 uh, the word uh, conduct uh, that's there early in verse 27 is kind of an interesting word. It, it means manner of life in general, but this exact word 
This exact verb is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's Acts 23 and verse 1, when Paul is saying he has lived or conducted his life in all good conscience. Uh, There were other words that meant manner of life that are used frequently in the New Testament. But Paul didn't use those words. He used this one. And generally, the way this word was used at the time in writings, not necessarily the scriptures, but it described one's relationship to the government. (coughs) Uh, And so that word would often be uh, an accurate translation would be to behave as citizens, act your part as citizens, exercise your citizenship. And Paul, as we've pointed out, was a Roman citizen. And Philippi was a Roman colony. And so even those that lived there that weren't Roman citizens had the privilege that Roman citizens had. So I think this word would have struck a chord with those in Philippi because they did live in a Roman colony. And so it appears that he's using this word to kind of bring that up to them. And, but then he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, conduct themselves as a citizen of the heavenly community. Uh, you know, the gospel of Christ. And so, trying to equate how you would live as a Roman citizen to having that kind of devotion to Christ. Uh, So I thought that was kind of interesting, and it kind of fit. And he he talks about his behavior and the things that he did, and uh, you go back to what we looked at in Acts 16, when he first came to Philippi and he ended up in jail for a short period of time and how did he act when he did that Uh, he acted as a citizen of God's kingdom and uh, and so Christians they can't really separate their actions from their citizenship in God's kingdom and uh, and that's certainly a a high calling Uh, and there's benefits that we saw like in Ephesians chapter 1 and so that's pointed out as well Uh, another thing that I found interesting when there's uh, in verse 27 uh, it says uh, whether I come and see you or remain absent I may hear of you that you are standing firm 
in one spirit and one mind. That idea of standing firm was a term that was oftentimes used to talk about the gladiator type contests that happened in Roman society a lot. That was kind of their entertainment. And so they would stand firm, they would hold their ground no matter what was coming at them. Uh, And so he takes that to the spiritual realm to stand firm, you know, together, you know, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And what I read, this is the only time the faith of the gospel that those two are put together like that. A lot of times we read about standing for the faith or standing for the gospel, but putting the faith of the gospel together. So Paul is trying to get them to unite together, stand together, strive together, side by side for the faith faith of the gospel. And in doing that, I think that makes it easier to stand. It's always easier to stand when there's others making that same stand with you. It makes me think of uh, the armor that we were talking about, the side by side. Can he actually directly be appealing to their? Because um, this is a theme throughout the Bible where we refer to physical things, uh, uh, not in a literal sense, but in a uh, symbolic sense in the spiritual kingdom. Like where it says striving together, mine says side by side, and you just said right. side by side. It makes me think of truth. Yes. Yeah. And then, uh, verse 28, in no way alarmed by your opponents. The uh, word alarmed, uh, other translations might say terrified. I guess the original meaning of this term was used for racehorses being startled and then turn aside. Uh, so literally it meant being you know, scared like a frightened horse. Which, I mean, a frightened horse can do some pretty crazy things. I'm told. I'm not a I'm not a horseman by any means. I've been on a horse a few times, but uh, uh, that's about it. So. Okay. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to, to bring out the last couple minutes. Verse 29 says, uh, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake and uh, they were given uh, for Christ's sake to not only believe in him but also to suffer for him uh, and the scriptures talk about that in several places, you don't have time to read them, but First uh, Peter chapter four verses twelve through sixteen uh, talk about that, uh, and then Christians become partakers of Christ's suffering. Second uh, Timothy three and verse twelve. 
1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for us, so we ought to be willing to suffer for Him. And 2 Corinthians 5.15, Christians no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. And then in Acts 5.41, the early disciples rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. And Christ suffered for us. And so... It's a privilege when we get to suffer for him. And the early Christians seem to get that. And so that's something we need to think about. And do we feel that same privilege? Uh, we, uh, we don't like suffering, but if it's for the right cause... We should be willing to do that and count it joy that we could. Okay, thank you for your comments. That was some good discussion. And Craig will start in Chapter 2 on Sunday. So we'll do verses 1 through 11 in Chapter 2. Um, and I'll try to remember to send an email out tomorrow. But just consider what Christ...